This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles once again with me, if you would, and turn to Psalm 23. If you have a copy of God's Word, take it and turn to Psalm 23. We are three weeks into our study of Psalm 23, and you might have noticed we have only made it five words in in three weeks, but don't worry. This morning, we are really picking up the pace, because this morning, we are looking at the next four words. I got to be honest, I don't have a plan here. Uh, I normally have these things mapped out. I have no idea how long we're going to be in this moment. To tell you the truth, uh, I am kind of just reading this and meditating on this. And as the Lord is speaking to me, uh, I'm bringing that to you. These are fresh things. I've never preached this before. But God is speaking to me in this moment. And my desire is to take what the Lord is saying to me and shepherd us through this moment. And apart from that, the Psalms in general, but particularly Psalm 23, are really there for our meditation This is a different genre of scripture, and every genre of scripture demands something a little bit different from us, the way we think about it, the way I preach it, the way we study it. The Psalms are for our meditation, so a place like this is a good place for us to stop and realize that every single phrase, every sentence is life-giving and life-changing and empowering and encouraging, just pregnant every phrase with meaning, and we want to get the most out of this. I have to tell you, the more I've studied Psalm 23, the more I find that the four little words we're going to look at this morning are the most remarkable to me. They are the words that every time I come to them, they stop me right there at the very beginning. And I sense in my heart a longing, a desire to be able to say what David is saying in this text. Uh, I told Andrea last night, I, I said, I'm so prepared for this morning. I've studied, I've thought, I've prayed, I've meditated but I feel like there's still so much more in this little phrase that I haven't yet fully understood. But the power of these four little words, I shall not want. Those are incredible words. Now I have to say, I I don't know about you, but if you memorized Psalm 23 when you were younger as I did, this was always confusing to me. I always thought as a kid, okay, if the Lord is my shepherd and he's a good shepherd, why wouldn't I want him? It would seem that I would want him. And even just a couple of weeks ago, one of my daughters said the same thing. One of my youngest girls said, well, dad, if he's a good shepherd, why would we not want him? I think in most kids' mind, this is what's always come up. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want him. Now, the reason this is such a difficult phrase is because it's just really hard for us to translate this into English. The, the fact is, is that no matter how you translate it, you can only really get to a part of the meaning that David was writing when he wrote this. Eugene Peterson, in his message, which is a great book for you to read, it's his paraphrase of the Bible. I love it. If you don't have it, you need to get it and read it. But one of the ways that he translates this, this he says, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. I love that. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. That's a good translation and a little bit different than the I shall not want. The I shall not want seems to look at the future. The I don't need a thing seems to look at the present. 
But the problem is, is that there's really no way in English for us to translate this in a way that helps us understand the full idea. And the reason is, is because in the Hebrew language, the tense here is what's called a habitual imperfect. A habitual imperfect. Write that down. You're going to want to use that at some social gathering at some point. But what it means is this. By habitual, it means it is something that covers the past, the present, and the future. By imperfect, it means that it is not a completed action. It's something that is still going on. So you take all of that together, and what David is saying in this phrase is this, is that I never have, I never will, and currently, I do not have anything that I don't need. I don't like anything. I've never liked anything. I'm never going to like anything. And right now, in this present moment, I still don't lack anything. I have every single thing that I need. I'm absolutely at peace and at rest with the future and the present because I understand the God of the past. That is an incredible statement. And that's the reason that it's hard for us in one phrase to communicate this, to communicate in a way that says, this is not just about the future, it's about the present. And it's based upon my understanding of the God of the past. But what David is really doing is that he's communicating two ideas in these four words. He's communicating confidence and contentment. If you're taking notes, can I encourage you to to write that down? Confidence and contentment. This is really what this phrase is communicating to us. Two words, David expressing the own reality of his heart as he's walked through life with the Lord has come to the realization that he can be absolutely confident and absolutely content. Let's think about that together. Let's think about David's confidence. David's confidence. This is where you get this translation, I shall not want. That seems to point us to the future. I'm not going to be in want. I'm not going to be in need. And that's certainly part of what he's saying. What David is saying is that over time, having walked with the Lord, having spent time meditating on the Lord, the more he knows the Lord, the more he trusts the Lord, the more he's experienced the ups and downs of life, the more he's come to this conclusion. I don't have to worry about the future. I don't even have to worry about tomorrow. I can be absolutely confident that as long as I have breath, I will have everything that I need. David is saying God has proven himself trustworthy in the past, in my life, and in the lives of all of the heroes of scripture. David, knowing those stories, knowing the people's journey out of, the promise, out of uh, Egypt and into the promised land and watching the way in which God had provided for his people has come to this place in his life where he is fully confident that he is always gonna have everything that he needs. I love the way he says it in Psalm 37, 25. He says this, I have been young and now I am old. Some of you can say amen to that. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread. David says, I've been young and now I'm old. And through all of my life, there's never been a moment which I've seen the descendants of the Lord, God's people, trusted him and following him, begging for bread. They've always had what they needed. So David now says this, I'm not worried, I'm not anxious, I'm not stressed, because I'm confident that I'm always gonna have everything that I need. David's confidence. 
But that idea of I shall not want only communicates a part of this. What David is also talking about is his own contentment. That's where you get the idea that Eugene Peterson communicates in the message where he says, I don't need a thing. Both of these phrases are true. But the message communicates another part of what David is saying is that right now, I'm good. Like, I don't need anything right now. I can't think of anything else I need right now. Right now, I'm content with what I have. A few years ago, our family took a family vacation and we decided that on that vacation, we would think about and talk about some character traits or qualities. So I pulled out this old book that I had as I was a kid, character sketches. Many of you may remember those, those big brown books with animals that identified with every character quality. And we looked at the one on contentment. Now, I have to be honest, I don't remember any of the other definitions, but I remember the definition for the one of contentment. This is how it defined contentment. God has provided everything I need for my present happiness. Can I, can I say that again? God has provided everything I need for my present happiness. That's exactly what David is saying. But David is saying, yes, I, I, I'm confident. God's gonna take care of me in the future. But right now, I believe that God has provided everything I need right now for my present happiness. I don't need anything else to be content and happy in this moment. God has given me everything I need. You know, I think a part of that attitude for David came from what we saw and or what we see in Psalm 27. You could turn a page over there and look at that. It expresses both David's confidence and his contentment. He says in verse one of Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, on whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David, having gone through all of these situations, says, even if an army comes against me, I'm gonna be confident because I know the Lord is gonna take care of me. Verse four, Psalm 27 says this. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David says, there's really only one thing I want. There's one thing I ask. I wanna dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, if that phrase sounds familiar, it's because it's in Psalm 23. So Psalm 27, most likely being written before Psalm 23, these are not put in chronological order. And David says, there's just really one thing I want in life. I wanna dwell with the Lord. I wanna know the Lord. I wanna be intimate with him. And he comes to the conclusion in Psalm 23 where he says in the last little phrase, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At some point, David came to a moment in his life when he realized that the thing he wanted most was the Lord. And then he realized that he already had the thing that he wanted most. He had the Lord. And that's what he wanted the most. So his contentment here is flowing out of the fact that the thing he longs for the most is the thing he already has, and that is the Lord. And certainly he is more hungry and desires more of the Lord, but his contentment flows out of what he really wants. He wants the Lord. 
David's confidence and David's contentment. Now, I just keep thinking about what rare qualities these are. I mean, think about that absolute confidence where we're rest, there's no anxiety, we're completely assured that there will never be a time in which God will forsake us in the future. We will have exactly what we need. And even more than that, a present contentment, which I think is the harder battle. It's a lot easier sometimes to trust the Lord with our future than it is to trust the Lord with our present. And I think we struggle with this as different people in different ways. Some of us really struggle with the future. Some of us really struggle with the present. But David says, I'm at ease and rest in both of those things because I have confidence and I have contentment. I can't imagine any two qualities being more noticeable in this moment in the history of our nation than confidence and contentment. We sang a moment ago that Christ would be magnified in me. I can't imagine any way for Christ to be magnified in you and through you that if you lived with an absolute confidence, no anxiety, no worry, no stress, I'm always gonna have what I need. I may not have everything I currently have right now. Some of this may be taken away, but I will always have what I need. And then contentment, that right now I'm, I'm good. That God has provided everything I need right now for my present happiness. I don't need anything more right now to be happy in the Lord than what I currently have. Can you think of any two qualities that would stand out more than those two right now? And the reason I said at the beginning that I come to this phrase and it always stops me and it amazes me is because I desperately want this in my life. I mean, I, I've been meditating on this all week and I just keep praying to the Lord, Lord, I want this. I, I want that kind of confidence to just ooze out of my life. I want that kind of contentment to just be evident in my life. I want there to be a noticeable calmness and lack of anxiety and steadiness and faithfulness where I know that I will always have what I need and I currently have what I need. I just keep asking, Lord, where does that come from? How do I get that? How, how do I have more confidence and more contentment? And the answer is in the first five words. The answer is in understanding that the Lord is my shepherd. It all begins this journey to confidence and contentment with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I say it every week. None of the promises of Psalm 23 are for you unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you cannot say the Lord is my shepherd, nothing else in Psalm 23 matters for you. But if you read Psalm 23 and say, I want that, I long for that, it begins with this, by trusting in Jesus Christ alone as the good shepherd who has given his life in your place so that by being separated from God the Father and taking upon himself all of the wrath of God and all of our sin being laid on him, we might be free from sin, declared perfectly righteous and have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And as you trust in Jesus Christ, you call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I, I wanna be saved. I, I want Jesus to pay for my sins. I'm giving my life to you. Then the Lord becomes your shepherd. You've entrusted your life to him, he begins to shepherd you. And he leads you in a journey toward confidence and contentment. It all begins with that relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as I think about David's 
own journal, which is essentially what this is. Remember, David's reflecting on his own life. He's giving his own testimony. And remember, there's 16 personal pronouns in Psalm 23. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. That is there to remind us that everyone has to have their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if the Lord is your mom's shepherd or your dad's shepherd, your husband's shepherd, your wife's shepherd. Is he your shepherd? But David's testimony is not there to help us to be amazed at what an incredible man David is. David's testimony is there to help us to see what an incredible shepherd we have. Everything exists to draw us personally to the shepherd who alone can lead us in the path of righteousness and lead us specifically in a path towards contentment and a path towards confidence. Two things that we desperately need. And so out of David's own testimony, there's really a call to us. David's saying, I've experienced these realities and, and what I wanna do is I wanna plead with you to also trust the shepherd, not just initially in giving your life to him, but in an ongoing way. You see, what these four words are saying to us is they're simply saying, be confident in the Lord and be content with the Lord. Let's just take just a few minutes to think about the call of this text on our own lives. The first call is this, listen to me. Be confident in the Lord. It all flows out of our understanding of the Lord. The one who has absolute knowledge, absolute wisdom, absolute rule, the one who has promised to love you unconditionally, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, it is new every day, the one who has absolutely committed himself to you for your good and his glory, that is the one whom you can trust. The truth is, is when we call you as a church, when the Bible calls you to give your life to Jesus Christ, It is not simply trusting him with your future, it is trusting him with your present. Maybe the the greatest misunderstanding, it seems to be in the American church, is that I can say a prayer, I can be a Christian, but Jesus has no influence on my day-to-day life. Let me just tell you something, that's not a Christian. That's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who's saying, I am choosing by faith to trust and follow Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is the way to heaven but in order to get there, I must begin to follow him on that way. It is essentially entrusting Jesus with your life. And this is why this idea of the shepherd is so good because what you're doing is when you become a Christian, listen, you're entrusting your life to the care, the leadership, the direction, the provision of the shepherd. You're saying, Jesus, I know you're the good shepherd. You lay down your life for your sheep, John 10. I know I'm a sheep. I'm wandering, I'm scared, I'm fearful. I'm helpless. So what I'm doing is I'm taking my life and I'm entrusting it to you. And what I'm saying is this, you love me perfectly. You have a perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge, perfect understanding. So why would I lead my own life? I'm giving my life to you and I'm entrusting you with it. This is why we say all the time that our mission as a church is to lead people to trust and follow Christ initially and every day after that until the Lord takes you home to keep trusting and keep following Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, don't worry about your life. He says that point blank, Matthew 6, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat. 
And then he says this, consider the birds. Go look out, go outside, go look at the birds. You've got time to do this now. Go outside, look at the birds. And he says, see those birds? They don't worry about what they're gonna eat. They always have something to eat. You know why? Because I'm giving them something to eat. He says, go look at the lilies of the field. You see how beautiful they're dressed? You know why? Because I dress them. Then Jesus says this, I care way more about you than I do the birds and the lilies of the field, so do not worry about your life. It is this rest and confidence in the love, the wisdom, the power, the sovereignty of our God who has committed himself to you. You shall not want. Be confident in the Lord. I would encourage you to write a little cross-reference. I love to do this in my Bible. I write a cross-reference to another passage. And really, Psalm 23, 1 is the Old Testament version of Romans 8, 32. Romans 8, 32. Romans 8, 32 says this. He, God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, If God the Father gave you his son, why would you think he would not then give you all things that you need? He made the ultimate example of how much he loves you and cares about you. So then why would you worry about your food? Why would you worry about the future? Why would you worry about your toilet paper? He said, listen, he gave his son for you. He gave the ultimate gift for you. He who did not spare his only son, will he not also freely give you, graciously give you all things? So if David had this kind of confidence on that side of the cross, on this Palm Sunday, as we think about what Jesus did for us, how much more confidence should we have knowing that God gave us his son and will also graciously give us everything else that we need? And the truth is, this is about the wisdom of God. He knows what you need. Listen, he knows when you need it, and he knows exactly how much of it you need. Now, his idea of what you need and how much you need and when you need it may not be your idea, but he's got more wisdom than you do. All week as I've been preparing this message, I've been thinking about this little interaction I had uh, quite a few months ago that really stuck with me. One of my daughters had a friend over. It's one of my favorite friends. She comes over from time to time, and... Uh, we were having dinner, and uh, the way it works at our house, particularly with this meal, is that when we make a pot of chili, we eat it until it's gone. So this was our third and final night of chili dinner. And I was apologizing to this friend because my kids were all kind of grumbling that we were having chili again. I was apologizing to this friend, who's my daughter's age, that she had to have our leftover chili. She said, oh, it doesn't matter to me. I, I can eat about anything. And then she told this story. She said, when I was younger, my family really struggled financially. And what my mom would do is she would make these huge pots of soup and we would eat them until they were gone. She said, one time we had eaten a soup literally for weeks and we were at the last night we had to eat the soup and it had already soured and it smelled like vinegar and all of us were complaining and no, none of us wanted to eat it. And before we ate it, my mom prayed that we wouldn't get sick from the soup. Then she said this, so I can eat anything. Now, here's why that was so profound to me. Is that here's a family who's struggling. And I have to believe that this was difficult for the husband, this is difficult for the wife, for the mom and dad, 
having to get their kids to eat the same meal for weeks. That had to have been a difficult moment for this, but they may not have realized in that moment that the lack of food was developing an abundance of maturity. They would not have chosen that moment. Would they have chosen two-week-old soup over a fresh filet? Absolutely not. But that soup was developing in this young girl a maturity and a tenderheartedness and an understanding spirit that she could not have got any other way. Listen to me, God knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and how much of it you need to make you the person he wants you to be. And you have to trust him in that. He knows what to do with your life much better than you do. Be confident in the Lord. Let me say the second one. Be content with the Lord. Be content with the Lord. This is ultimately about the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. You either believe this or you don't, that Jesus is enough. That if you just had Jesus and everything else was taken away, that Jesus would be sufficient. What David is saying is, the Lord's my shepherd, I've got him. I may not have anything else. And this is coming from a man who's been the king and who is run from his life for his life and hidden in a cave. He's saying, I've had it all, I've had nothing. But at the end of it all, I can say this. If I've got the Lord, I've got everything that I need. I've been thinking a lot about Matthew 13, 44 these days. Uh, the reason is, is I've been working a lot in the yard. So I have this, uh, I live in a subdivision, so I'm surrounded by homes, but I got this little corner lot, it's about two and a half acres, and I discovered something recently. My house is right here, and on this side of the house, there's a line of trees, and on this side of the house, a line of trees, and if you look carefully, there's barbed wire running through the trees. And there's one tree on this side and one tree on this side that both have old fence posts, so you can see the barbed wire wrapped around and going through a very large tree on this side and the other side. That if you go to the left side of my house and follow it back, there are two huge old fence posts that all have barbed wire wrapped around them and they're going through a tree. So what it means is at some time in the past, that was somebody's farm. And so one of the things I love to do, I love to work outside and I love to plant trees. As a matter of fact, I came home last week with five new trees. Andrea looked at me and said, do we need five more trees? To which I simply said, no. I had nothing else to say. <laughs> we don't need five new trees, but we gotta do something. I, I said, listen, there's a lot of husbands that have a lot of worse addictions than planting trees. I, I love to be outside. Josiah and I love to get outside. Yesterday, we were digging a hole for a tree, and Josiah looked at me and he said, Dad, someday I wanna be a dad like you. I said, why? He says, because I wanna have a big shovel and dig holes. So we all have our ambitions, and I'm leading Josiah to that one. But we love to be outside. But what I, I, I gotta tell you, every time I dig a hole, this is gonna sound crazy, I keep thinking I'm gonna have one of those Great Depression discoveries where the farmer that lived there before me had planted some kind of tin can and it's filled with cash. Every time I dig a hole, I think I'm gonna find one of these and I'll shovel and I'll hit a rock and I'll think this is it, this is the moment. But it's not, it's, it's just a rock. Now think about Matthew 13, 44, which says a man found a treasure hidden in a field. It was so valuable he sold everything else he had and he bought that field. But what he says is this, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field and it's so valuable he sells everything else and he goes and gets the treasure. The point Jesus is making is this. If you had to sell everything to get more of Jesus, it'd be worth it because Jesus is more valuable than anything else. 
that there is nothing in all of life that matters more and is more valuable than Jesus. When you come to discover Jesus Christ, you also come to discover that there is nothing better than him. That's exactly what David is saying. I have come to know what intimacy with Jesus is like and it is better. Could it be that in this moment, God is developing in you a confidence and a contentment that can only come from someone who's been in some very difficult times and has learned in the midst of those by their own testimony and experience that Jesus Christ is enough. Every time I meditate in this, I just keep thinking about how I long for this and how unnatural those two things are. Do you feel that? Do you feel that naturally we're not a confident people? Naturally, we're a fearful people. We're a worried people. Naturally, we're not a content people. We always want something more. It's like our default setting. So give us a day where we don't spend time with Jesus. What comes up? Fear, anxiety, worry. Give us a day where we don't walk with Jesus. What comes up? Desires, longings, a lack of contentment. We need something we don't have. And I'm absolutely confident that in this moment, what God wants to do is he wants to take those fears, those anxieties, those worries, those desires, those longing, and he wants to use those to make you run to Jesus Christ where you begin to taste and see that he is good. So the more you know him, the more confident you become. The more you experience him, the more content you become. We either believe that Jesus is enough or we don't. What God wants to do is he wants to keep driving you to himself. That every one of these feelings that come up in your heart exists to drive you to him. So that someday, your own testimony, having experienced all kinds of ups and downs in life, maybe David's. So at the end of it all, you might come to a place where you can say in all honesty, the Lord is my shepherd, I've entrusted my life to him. I surrendered to him. I trusted him, I followed him. And I never have, and I never will, and I don't now have anything that I don't need. I have everything. I'm good, I'm confident, I'm content. Man, I'm praying in my own life and for your life that these two qualities would rise up as you walk intimately with Jesus Christ, run to him, know him, trust him, follow him. And let that be a marker of our lives in this time that Christ might be magnified through us. Let's pray together. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.